begin our study this morning, I invite you to open up the book of Matthew. We're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 10. Maybe you remember, as we've been going through Matthew, we began, the first four chapters of Matthew presents to us the person of the King in Jesus Christ. Then we come to chapters 5 through 7, which lay out for us the principles of the King, the principles of His kingdom, greatest teachings ever uttered, the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus would share over and over again when He had opportunity to teach. Then as we come to chapters 8 and 9, we see the power of the king. The power of the king is is laid out for the people. In chapter 10, the Lord sends out his ambassadors. And from chapter 10 until chapter 12, they present the king. Chapter 12, they reject the king. As we take a look at chapter 10, Jesus, as he's gathered together his disciples, he he prepares them and he gives them uh, insight. He says, hey guys, this, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. This is how I, wanna, I want you to focus on the ministry that I've given you specifically for the 12 that he sends out. And we pick it up in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness And all kinds of disease. One of the first things we want to recognize is, where does the power to heal come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from God's hand moving. God is the healer. There is no one other than He. Whomever He might grant that power to, when someone may pray or lay hands on someone else, and the Spirit move and bring that healing, praise God. That was God who brought the healing. had nothing to do with the person is simply the, the channel through which God is moving, the person that God uses to touch someone's life. Here, the 12 disciples, Jesus gives them power. He gives them power and he gives them a calling. And God still does the same thing today. Same thing today. Folks, God is calling each and every person that is a part of his family. And in that calling that God gives, he also gives the empowerment or the enablement to do it. God's commandments are God's enablements. If God calls us and he says to you, I want you to go and pray for the sick and bring healing, then he will also give you the power to do it. If God calls you to minister, to evangelize, to reach out to the world, God will also give you the power to do it. But this is certain, and I want you to understand this. God has called you all. God has a purpose for us all, and God has given us the gifts and the power through His Holy Spirit to do whatever it is God has called us to do. Our responsibility as these 12 disciples is simply to report for duty to the Lord. Now, many of us oftentimes are afraid of that. We're afraid of that thing. What happens when I come to the Lord and I say, okay, Lord, here I am. You remember Isaiah, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He comes face to face with Almighty God. And all of a sudden, for the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah had been saying, woe to you and woe to you and woe to you too. And when he got to Isaiah chapter six, he says, woe to me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
And the Lord spoke to an angel who took an altar from the, uh, a coal from the altar and he brought it over to the angel. The angel brought it over to Isaiah and touched his lips and said, your sin is purged. And then God begins to speak. You know, the world is a pretty messed up place. And we need someone to go for us. I don't know who would go for us. I wonder who would go for us and be a mouthpiece for us to the people. And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That needs to be our response. And it's the only response possible when you, like these 12 disciples, find yourself standing before Almighty God, receiving your orders for the day. Every single day, Jesus rose up early before the day began. And he withdrew himself to a place where he could pray and call upon Almighty God. And and the Father would direct him, give him that day's marching orders, if you will. If Jesus, who was the Son of God, needed to do that, how much more do we? In this chapter, chapter 10, we see the commission to the 12 disciples. And they're going to reach out to the nation of Israel because that's who the Messiah came through. And he came and he was fulfilling his promise, so they reached out to them until they reject their king. But in Matthew chapter 28, he gives us our commission. Right? He doesn't say, for most of you, I would like most of you to go into the world and make disciples of all men. No. He says, all of you. That there is a role that we all need to be playing. There's a a part of that supporting cast within the body of Christ that we need to fulfill. And we can, like them, receive those orders simply by being in His presence. Now there's a lot of ways we can be in God's presence today, isn't there? There are people who would argue I can be in the Lord's presence no matter where I am. And I would say it's absolutely true. But here's the reality. Most people won't. You could say, well, I can go see the Lord and I can go to the golf course. Sure you can. The Lord's there. But most people won't seek Him there. I can seek the Lord out hunting. I can seek the Lord at going here or going there or doing whatever. Absolutely true. But most people don't. Most people use that as an excuse to not have to report to the Lord. You notice in this first verse it says, He called His disciples to Him. And I want you to think about this morning. God is calling you too. He is calling you to come. To hear what it is that God wants from you. That what, what the Lord wants you to do. What God wants to empower you to do. He's calling you to come. To me, the best place to come and receive that is when we gather together as a body. We gather as a body on Sunday morning. We gather as a body on Sunday night. We gather as a body on Wednesday. And a lot of people will say, but I don't need to go to church to do that. You're right, you don't. But most people won't. Life just gets busy, right? Hey, I know how it is. All those same things you want to do, all those same things you have to do, we have. That's part of life. But when we come together as a body, when we gather together as the twelve did here, 
we tend to hear from the Lord. We tend to receive from God, oh Lord, that really speaks to my heart. This is what I'm supposed to be doing or this is what you're speaking to me. It gives us that opportunity, right? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And here we are corporately where two or three are gathered. There he is in our midst. Man, we have the spirit moving through worship. We have the spirit moving through teaching. We have that opportunity to receive from the Lord. What, what am I to do, Lord? How do I answer your call? And I love, as we look at chapter 10, the disciples come together and he names them for us. And it's important that he names them for us because most of us don't know who the 12 disciples are. Well, most of us can name four of them, right? Probably four of them. Certainly three, Peter, James, and John. We could do that. But the reality is, there was more disciples than that. And they were all important parts of the body of Christ. Though some we know well because we could see them. Paul would describe it to us like this. The body of Christ works just like your human body. And there are parts of your human body that we can see. We see them all the time and we get to know, man, that's an important part. But there are other parts of your body we don't see that are just as important. For example, your lungs. Anybody want to trade those in? I don't. I did my best to, to cough them out of my chest while I was hiking this week, but they stayed. And I'll tell you, prior to, to my hunting trip and going, doing the hiking that we did on the hunting trip, <clears throat> I thought my lungs were okay. And about six miles into our hike, I discovered that my lungs aren't okay. They, they're going to need a little more work. That's how the body of Christ is. There's parts of our body we don't see. We recognize there's an issue when those parts of the body are under stress. But otherwise, they're invisible. But it doesn't mean they're part, not part of the body of Christ. Every time you're going to see the 12 disciples named, the, the first disciple named will always be the same. Peter. The last disciple named will always be the same. Judas Iscariot. In the middle... A whole lot of other things going on. But the first one named, it's interesting to me, and we'll see this morning as we study this chapter, the first one named and the last one named are both deniers of Christ. The first one denied him, cursed that he didn't know him. But then he turned his heart in repentance toward the Lord. The last one denied Christ and was never really one of his disciples to begin with. We see Peter having his name changed, right? Remember, Jesus is standing before Peter and he says, Peter, who do men say that I am? And he, he rattled off all these things, a prophet that Moses talked about. Some say this, some say that. Well, Peter, who do you say that I am? Well, I say that you are the Christ, the son of the living God who has come into this world. Oh, truly, Peter, flesh and blood did not re reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. He lays out for him, and you will no longer be Simon. Simon means shifting sand, flaky guy. Here, and here today, gone tomorrow, drifting, you know. You're going to be Peter, a rock, solid. You're going to be 
solid. Because in Christ, we're always more than we were without him, right? So we have Peter. Simon Peter, it says. And then he says, Andrew, his brother. Poor Andrew lived his entire existence in the shadow of his big brother. Anybody else ever had that experience? Lived his entire existence in the shadow of his big brother and was satisfied to do so. The one thing that Andrew is most famous for is he brought his brother to Christ. Man, that's some of the most important things we can ever do, isn't it? To bring our brother to Christ. To bring people to Jesus. That's what Andrew did. Then we have James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Now, you guys remember, those are the first motorcycle gang in the world. James and John. James' real name was Jacob. He became J- uh, James during the, the translation of the King James Bible. There was a king. And that king, his name was James. So in the New Testament, whenever Jacob came up, they decided to call him James. Really? It was Jacob and John. Little interesting tidbit for Bible trivia. But as we take a look at James and John, what were they known as? The Sons of Thunder. You know that was a motorcycle gang. You know they were wearing leather. They had souped up donkeys. They could go faster than most of the other guys. Made sure they had extra loud pipes on those donkeys so everybody knew when they were going by. Yeah, man, that's who they were. The Sons of Thunder. Because inside, they were angry men. Man, angry men always looking to... Well, in fact... They wanted to call down fire from heaven, right? Hey, Lord, these people didn't like us very much. Shall we, as though they could, shall we call down fire from heaven and consume them? The Lord said, no. You guys don't even know what spirit you are yet. Because later on, they're not the sons of thunder anymore. Now, they become the apostle of love. God changes our character when we come to meet him, doesn't he? That's what he did to them. James and John gathered together. The scripture goes on. Philip and Bartholomew. Philip and Bartholomew. Now Bartholomew was Nathaniel. Remember Nathaniel from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, when, when Nathaniel was brought to Jesus, they said, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? And Nathaniel said those famous words, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Sure. Nathaniel got... Just close enough for Jesus to begin to talk to him. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, when you were sitting under the olive tree, I saw you there. And Nathaniel immediately says, My my Lord, my Savior, my God. He's blown away. But that simple thing. And Jesus goes on to explain to us why in the Gospel of John. Because he was sitting there and he was reading the story of Jacob's ladder. And he was wondering as he read the story of Jacob's ladder, what this was all about. The angels ascending and descending upon Jacob's ladder. And then Jesus goes on to describe to them and let him know that he's the ladder. He's the one through whom man and the others are able to ascend and descend. He's the bridge that bridges the gap. Nathaniel, who comes to the Lord initially doubting, but then fully believing. And that leads us to Thomas. Everybody knows Thomas, right? We all call him what? Doubting, doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. This would definitely be the all star team you would pick, right? I mean, Jesus devoted himself to prayer. 
prior to picking the 12 disciples. Scriptures tell us that. And then he picked this band of losers. Doubting Thomas, doubting Bartholomew, Philip goes on. Matthew, the tax collector, he was a loved, most loved man of the year there in that area of the world. Everybody hated the tax collectors. And then you have James, the son of Alphaeus. And you want to know something about James, the son of Alphaeus? So do I. Nobody knows anything about him. But listen, I don't want you to lose this. The only person that really matters at all knows him. A lot of times there are a lot of things we're going to do and things we're going to be involved in and nobody is ever going to know what we're doing. But God knows. It doesn't really matter if we know this James or not, does it? God knew him. He was called of the Lord. He fulfilled his calling. He did his job as the Lord called him. Scripture goes on to tell us not only James the son of Alphaeus, but Alabius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Again, another for whom we don't have anything historically that tells us what he did other than he was one of the twelve. Then we have Simon, Simon the Canaanian, Simon the Zealot, the other Gospels tell us, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out. So now they bring it together. Here's the twelve. Well, prior to that when we talk about disciples, we're talking about anybody who follows them. But Jesus calls together these twelve and he gives them a specific role. These disciples, it says, they, he, he called together, <clears throat> he sent out, and he commanded them, these twelve, he commanded them and said to them, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He, he gives them the scope of their ministry. And the scope of their ministry at this point was not to go to all the world. The scope of their ministry was to go to the nation of Israel. To go out. And so he's going to send them forth and they're going to go. So they receive the scope of their ministry. You know, the same thing is true today. While the Great Commission calls us as a body of Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Lord is not going to send you individually to every place in the world to preach the gospel. He has a scope of ministry for you. He had a scope of ministry for Isaiah. He had a scope of ministry for Jeremiah. He had a scope of ministry for all. He had a scope of ministry for Paul, right? He has a scope of ministry for you. You don't have to do it all. Just your part. Just your piece. He lays out the scope of ministry and then he tells them, to go to the lost sheep. Jesus tells us that the, the nation of Israel were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, all their life, all their existence to this point, they've been striving and striving to find the king. Where's the king? When are we going to have the good king? I mean, we had a good king, pretty good king in David, but David wasn't perfect. And we had a pretty wise king in Solomon, but that wasn't so good. And then we had all these kings that fought with each other. And then the nation split. And we went into captivity. And we're just longing for where's the one who's actually going to lead us? Where's the one who can actually show us the way? The scripture promised that one in the Messiah. The Mashiach Nagid. The, the Messiah, the Prince. 
And they look for the fulfillment of this one who would come. And Jesus is saying, now I'm going to send you out as my ambassadors. Let them know I'm here. The king they've been looking for. The one that can tie it all together. The book of Colossians lays out for us that in him all things consist. Whenever people talk about that scripture in Colossians, they constantly want to talk about how he holds the atom together. You know what? That's beyond my brain. I can't deal with that. Let me tell you what he holds together. My life. Because my life sometimes is like that frayed ball of yarn. It's little strings poking up all over the place. And I don't have any idea how to put it all together. But in Christ, I consist. I have my being. I'm held together. He keeps me together. And here he is announcing to the nation of Israel, I'm here. All those things that are afraid, all those things that are out of control in your life, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And what did he say? And I will give you rest. That's what they've been looking for. That's what they've been longing for. So he sends them out. And then he says, here's what you're going to do. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. He's here. The king is here. An important thing for us to decide this morning is your king here. Is Jesus your king? Because he can be our king in word, but he also needs to be our king in deed. That means I really do seek to honor him means I really do live my life in submission to Him. means I really do look to Him as that which rules, who guides, who directs. The message is, hey guys, the King, the King has come. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in verse 8 he says, and go, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And this is a beautiful thing. Jesus gives them power, gives them a scope of ministry, gives them a message, go preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then he tells them, wherever you go, heal everybody you come in contact with, and you do it for free. Don't sell tickets. Just do it for free. Freely you have received, freely give. It had nothing to do with you. I gave it to you. Now you freely give that. Pass that on. Give it to others. So that's what they're doing. They're freely you have received, freely give. They're to move. They're to, to go. And he says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics or sandals or a staff, for a worker is worthy of his food. He's teaching them to rely upon him. Now the time is going to come later on toward the end of the book of Matthew that the Lord says not only to bring a a money bag, but he also tells them, take some money, go buy a sword and take a sword with you too. But in this ministry, specifically for these 12, he wants to teach them to rely upon the Lord. So he says, don't even bring any money with you. God's going to provide. Now think about it. If you walked into a town... And as you're walking into the town, before you came into the gate, there's that little village outside where the lepers of that town had to live outside the city walls. And as you pass through that, you went through and cleansed all the lepers. And those guys all went into town and people were all stoked and they brought the sick. You think you're going to find a place to sleep? What about a meal? You think you'll be able to get a meal? Everywhere they went. 
Everything that they needed was provided as a result of the power and the ministry that God gave them. Everything that they needed. For a worker is worthy of his meat, of his food, of his, of his sustenance. The people will take care of you. You worry about ministering. Don't worry. Don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number one, don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two, you guys know it? It's all small stuff. Good answer. So we don't want to sweat the small stuff. And so he says, don't bring any money. Don't worry about it. And he says, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. Now, when we read this, we think, hmm, that's a little weird. Like, for example, when we, Kathy and I came to Buell, should I have walked around and said, excuse me, sir, are you worthy of me staying with you? (laughs) Exactly what kind of house do you have? The, the idea in this word for, for worthy are those who are responsive to the message. Those who are open. Those who would receive. Those to whom are receiving the good news, the gospel, the king has come. He says when you come across those, when you find one who is worthy, then, then there you go and you stay with him. And then listen, you stay there until you leave town. Don't bounce around from house to house, place to place. You come in, you find someone who is receiving the word with gladness, and and if they're willing to to bring you in, you stay there until you leave town. No bouncing around, no looking for other opportunities, no trying to get something else to work out. Don't do that. Just stay there. Stay in that one place. Remember, don't sweat the small stuff. Doesn't matter how good or how bad it is. Doesn't make any difference. When you stay there, stay in that place, remain in that place until you leave that city. And then he goes on to say, and when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, again, that carries that idea of, of, of receiving the message, <clears throat> let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. As you come in, bring in that peace, that peace that comes with us. Now it's interesting, as we study, we're going to see that Jesus has a lot to say about that peace. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. So, first he says, if you come into that house, and they're receptive, and they're receiving that message... Then let your peace come upon it. And that idea is not that life is going to be easy or that things are going to be good. But for the first time in your life, at one time you were at war with God. Now you're at peace with him. That's the peace they're talking about. Now you're at peace with God. At one time you were at war. You were in a battle. There's not that inward feeling of tranquility or the lack of adversity or the fact that your enemies aren't going to come against you. The idea is you have broken down the barriers between God and yourself. So let that peace be upon that house. The peace of God. The peace that comes as a result of that right relationship with him. But if they won't receive, shake off the dust from your feet. Now in those days, when a rabbi would pass through, say, a Gentile quarter of a town, a place, a neighborhood in which the Gentiles lived, if they had to walk through that place, when they got to the end of, the, of that lane, they would brush and kick off the dust, making sure whoever saw them knew, we're different from you. The choices you've made or because of who you are, you are not part 
of who we are. So Jesus said, when they don't receive you, if they don't accept this message, if they don't receive what you're doing, shake off the dust. It was a sign to the Jew, right? That's who they're going to. It was a sign to the Jew that they're making a choice that separates you from among those who believe or from among those who receive the word. So shake off the dust. Shake it off. And then he goes on in verse 15. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. The Lord brings that out a few times. It'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because no preacher came to Sodom and Gomorrah. Nobody walked into the town and healed all the sick. Nobody healed the lepers, cleansed those people. No one came and preached the good news that the the Messiah had come, that that the king was here. And if they won't receive after all those things. Now listen, everything they did, every healing they did was a sign. It was like someone shouting from the rooftop, Messiah is here. Healings don't happen every day. You guys know that, right? But during the ministry of Jesus Christ, they did. Doesn't that set that day apart from all other days? Something different is happening. Something incredible is happening. If they don't receive, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah because no one preached to them. But they have preached to you. They came here and you did not receive them. The Bible tells us very clearly why that is. Listen, men don't receive the message because they love the darkness rather than the light. That's the bottom line. Scripture goes on to tell us then, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Wouldn't you like to hear that on your first day of work? You know, I'm so glad that you answered it. We've had a hard time filling this position. But basically, what we're going to do is uh, you're going to dress up like a sheep. And then we're going to put you in this pen full of wolves and see what happens. Now, the guy before you, pieces of him are still in that cage. But I'm sure you're going to do better than that. While we were hunting this week, one of the trails we went up on, we, were, we found a sheep that had, well, well, there wasn't a sheep anymore. It was more like wool. Whatever had eaten it, had eaten it all, tore it to shreds. And as we passed by, I was thinking about this verse. Behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves. It means it's dangerous. It means your death or destruction is likely. I send you out as sheep among wolves. And then he gives them this charge. Now a lot of people, I had friends that would always quote the first part. Behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves, so be wise as serpents. And they would stop there. Well, I got to be wise as a serpent, you know, so I make sure that I take care of this and I take care of that. They somehow they always forgot the second part of that verse. Have you known people who do that? They like the first part but not the second part. Like the verse that says, for all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, that's a great place to start. I desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. 
The second half of that verse says, will suffer persecution. Be wise as serpents. The word for serpent is the same exact word for the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. You know the cunningness of the devil to cause the, the woman to stumble and fall? Be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. When's the last time you went out and just were scared to death by that dove? That is the freakiest dove I have ever seen. Oh, fills me with chills. Because that's the way the Lord wants his disciples to be. You're going out as sheep among wolves. And the wolves have all the power. The wolves have the ability to take the life. The wolves have all that within them. The sheep has nothing. Zip. When's the last time you saw a sheep and were afraid? Oh. Lambzilla. They wouldn't sell very many tickets to that movie, would they? Watch out for the terror of the hills. A, a rabid sheep was eating campers. No, we're not afraid of sheep. That's the point that Jesus is making. Sheep is powerless. Sheep is weak. A dove is harmless. You go with a message and you put your life in God's hands. When we choose to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you need to realize that you are giving your life to the Master's hands. It's not mine no more. It's His. And whatever He has for me, whatever path I have to walk, whatever job I need to do, He sends me out. I'm the sheep. And the world is full of wolves. He wants me to have the wisdom that I need to have, but He wants me to remember that I'm to be harmless. That's the way He sent out these disciples. To be wise as serpent and harmless as dove. And then He says in verse 17, but listen, but beware of men. Be aware. Jesus is letting them know what lies on the road before them. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Now here, we're going to see as Jesus begins to talk to the disciples, he's not only looking right now at the time when he sends them out. Because at the time when he sends them out, none of these things happen. But after Jesus has ascended, and the disciples go forward, and other disciples, and people with the word of God go forward, that's when these things occur. He says, men will deliver you up to councils. Remember after Jesus died that Peter and and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, the very same body that crucified Christ 50 days-ish earlier? They'll bring you before a counselor. They'll take you in the synagogue. They actually built rooms in the synagogue for beating people who were breaking the law or denying the law. Let me say beating Jews. The number one persecutor of the church in the early days was organized religion. For the most part, that's been true ever since. Oftentimes we would think about Russia. I remember in the old days, I think about Russia and how Russia wouldn't allow the the message, the gospel to come. That's not exactly true. It wasn't Russia. 
It was the Eastern Orthodox or the Russian Orthodox Church that won't allow the gospel. That won't allow other churches. That won't allow those things to take place. And so Jesus is saying here, this is going to happen. Men will deliver you up for counsels. They'll scourge you. Listen, don't miss this. In whose synagogue? Once upon a time it was God's. Now it's their synagogue. Hopefully God would never say that's their church. It's his church. It's his body. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. There's the important thing. For my sake, for Jesus' sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Now remember, now they're being sent out to the nation of Israel, to Jews. But he's looking forward. He's looking to the future. He's prophesying as they go out and as they do these things. It's going to become a a light to the Gentiles. It's going to become an example to the leaders. And they're to be brought before those leaders for Jesus' sake. Not for our own knuckleheadedness. For Jesus' sake. Because of our witness to Jesus Christ. Not because of our own obnoxiousness. Not because we take the law into our own hands or do our own thing. No, because of our witness for Christ. For my sake, Jesus said, when you're brought. And when they deliver you up, do not worry how or what you will speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should say. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaks within you. Spirit-inspired utterance. The Lord says, don't worry in those times about your defense. Jesus is our advocate. And he'll give you the words when it's time. He did that for Paul, didn't he? Absolutely. Paul was a witness. He was a witness for Jesus Christ, even though he was in chains. And the Lord would give him the message to share on those opportunities when he was to speak. The same way for you and I. Now, he says in verse 21, he goes on. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death. And father is child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Again, looking into the future, looking forward. What's he saying as he looks forward? He says, listen, families are going to be dissolved upon themselves, turning one another in. The, the world is going to turn more and more against Christianity. It's the way it's supposed to be. And families will be divided over because Jesus Christ divides He said, you're either for me or against me. Can't be in the middle. He didn't give us middle ground. And he said, even though all these crazy things happen, even though all this stuff is going on, he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus tells a parable. We'll read about it and study it a little bit more when we get to chapter 13. But in that parable, he talks about the soil of our heart. And the four different types of soil there are. And one of those types of soil, it springs forth. But it doesn't bring forth fruit because as soon as the sun comes out, it scorches that which has grown. And it withers away and dies. 1 John chapter 2 verse 19 says that those who don't endure with us were never really a part of us to begin with. The test of reality is endurance. We have need of endurance. 
I share with the kids on the football team all the time. It matters a little how you start. It matters a whole lot more how you finish. We want to finish well, don't we? Don't we want to finish well? Don't we, don't we all have that desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Then that requires of us that concept that I need to endure to the end, no matter what happens. No matter how rough or hard or difficult the road becomes, that I don't let any of those things move me. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, Paul is with the Ephesian elders. As he's gathered over the Ephesian elders, Agabus comes. Now, Agabus was a prophet. And Agabus comes and he takes Paul's belt. And he binds his hands. And he says, the owner of this belt, if he goes to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to him. And all the people who were listening began to weep and cry and say to Paul, Paul, don't go. Paul, you got to stay, man. If you go, they're going to be in chains. You're going to be arrested. You're going you're to go through all these hard times. And Paul says, what are you guys doing to me? You're breaking my heart. Paul said, I would go to chains and to death. I'm not going to change from my path because of the battle that lies before me. God was just telling him what was down his road. He wasn't telling him not to go. And then Paul said these words. For none of these things move me, nor do I count my life as dear to myself, that I might finish my race with joy. Paul says, I got a job to do, and I don't care what it costs. I'm going to go. And I'll pay. And I'll do whatever it is that God has called me to do. And I'll pay whatever price there is to be paid. And I will finish my race. Later on, Paul would write to us, I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have accomplished that which God had sent him to accomplish. And when we consider that concept, that idea, it's the same thing. No matter what the road holds, no matter what is down that road, no matter whether or not we're going to have family that, that shut the door to us or disown us, whether or not we're going to lose friends, whether or not we're going to lose a job, whether or not any of those things are going to take place, can you say like Paul, none of these things move me? Because then you have the endurance you need to finish the race. Listen, we get so focused on ourselves that we lose focus on what really matters. What do I mean? Even if your life is upside down and sideways the whole time you're on earth, there's no joy, there's no peace, it's just a struggle the entire time. You live your life for Jesus Christ. When you close your eyes in death here, you will open your eyes to an eternity with the Savior who will say to you, well done. And you will never be disappointed in what you receive from Christ compared to what you lost for Him. You'll never be disappointed. 
Paul said, I don't even consider it worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That was a driving motivation for him. And here Jesus is saying the same thing. Hey, he who endures to the end. He was with me. Who is going to finish his race? He's mine. He belongs to me. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. We can all fool ourselves into saying we're committed. The test of commitment is on the sole of your shoe. What's going on? Is your commitment only words? Or does it have action? Is there fruit? Is there something evident in your life that you're moving forward with the Lord? That's what the Lord wants. That's what He desired of them. He says, when they persecute you in the city, flee to another. That's how the church spread. He didn't say, when they persecute you, stay there and be whipped over and over again. He said, if they persecute you, leave the city. Go somewhere else. Take the word where they'll receive the word. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Before the Son of Man comes. Son of Man is a title, again, for the Messiah. And he's speaking about his second coming. Before the the Lord returns, you're not even going to be able to go to all the house of Israel. But he's not talking about his return In Revelation chapter 19, he's talking about his return in judgment. Remember, Jesus is headed to the cross and and people are weeping for him. And he said, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. He said as he came into Jerusalem, remember? And the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save now, truly you are the Messiah. And he wept over Jerusalem and he said, not one stone will be left upon another. It's all going to be torn down. Before the message could go throughout it all, Titus Vespasian would come and the nation of Israel would blow like the wind, dust in the the heavens to the four corners of the earth, just like God promised in the Old Testament would take place. They were scattered. One day they'll be gathered, but at this point they were scattered. He's saying, hey, the time is short. Is this time short today? Is the time short? I mean, how do you know the person that the Lord has laid as a burden on your heart has tomorrow? How do you know they've got five more minutes, ten more seconds? How do you know they get to draw one more breath? The message to the Lord here is that message of urgency. Let's be moving. You're not even going to be able to cover it all. You're not going to be able to blanket it all before this judgment comes. Listen. We don't know what tomorrow holds for anyone. But we do know that you and I have been given a gift of the truth of God's word. And we have a responsibility for those who have freely received to what? Freely give. Give it out. Give it away. As fast as you can, give it away. He says in verse 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Baalzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Baal was, is one of the Baals of the Old Testament. Baal-Zebub, the Lord of the Flies, a hated deity of the Ekronites. 
The Ekronites worshipped him. It came to be synonymous with the devil or Satan himself. Jesus said, listen, if they say I do things by the power of Satan, how are they going to treat you? If they hate me, are they going to love you? Probably not. No, they're going to... They're going to treat you just as they treat the master. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and nothing hidden that will not be known. We're going to close right here in verse 26, but listen, here's what I want you to grasp. There's nothing covered that won't be known. You ever felt like the things you were doing, the way you were ministering, the way your life has been going on, that, 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 that nobody knows your heart, or nobody knows what you're going through, or nobody knows the struggle that you're having. But here the Lord is saying, I know. I know it. I know the burden of your heart. I know the struggle that you face. I know what's going on. And one day... That which is hidden will be revealed. It's going to be brought out to light. The Lord knows what you do. The Lord knows how you do it. He knows your heart. And He wants you to realize, even if nobody else in your life ever says you've done anything, I know what you've done. It will be brought to light. Look at the context. He's saying about how people are saying bad things about Jesus. How they're saying he's of the devil. And how they're going to treat you. They're going to hate you. And they're, they're not going to give you the, the props that you deserve. But listen. All those things that you did. The scripture says. Listen. When you do your good deeds. Who do we do them for? Our father in heaven. And he who sees in secret will do what? Reward you openly he says the day will come when you when you stand before the lord and god says i know what you've done i know the sacrifices that you made i know the heart of the matter and i want you to know i care we could travel to important places all around the world today folks And we could talk to important men. And when we talk to those important men or those important women, they are not going to know not one of our names or what we did or how we lived or how we gave or how we loved. But God says, I know. I know. And he wants us to know that. That's why he listed the 12 disciples for us. Because we look at those guys and we say, what did you do? Well, you and I will never know. But God knows. God knows. And he's calling us. Will we answer? He said at the end of chapter 9, the harvest is ripe. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And then immediately, what did he do? He called his 12 and sent them out. In the same way, he calls us. And he says, I know what you do. Just do it. You won't be disappointed. The life that you live for the Lord 
We're going to go as we, as we finish up chapter 10 next week and, and we go on. Listen, I want you to hear this phrase. Jesus said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. The battle will always be that battlefield. Selfishness or sacrifice. No place else. We either are going to be selfish or we will sacrifice. The call from the Lord, sacrifice. Take up your cross and follow me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity that we can come before you, Lord, this opportunity to study your word. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us in and throughout the week, Lord, where we can gather together in ladies' studies. We can come to men's studies. We can, we can go to midweek service, or we can gather together with our brothers in prayer. We can do a hundred different things, Lord God, but Lord Jesus, we need to be doing them. We need to be receiving our call, the empowerment of your spirit to go forward. We need to be reporting for duty and allowing your spirit to move in a mighty, mighty way through our life. And God, to, to change our world. I, I don't know. I, I can't. I don't know that I can turn the world around and make the world go in a different direction. But I can definitely turn around some individual lives and say, you're headed to destruction Come this way. Come to life. Come see Jesus. Come see the man who told me everything I could ever be or do would matter. Come see the one who makes my life have meaning. Something beyond myself. That makes my life scream I have purpose. I'm part of a bigger story. I'm part of something that matters for all eternity. And the writer of that story, the, the one who put that plan together, the most important being in all of the universe, he knows my name. He knows what I do and why I do it. And He loves me. So I want to say, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I might finish my race with joy. Whatever your road holds, Lord, I'll walk it. And when this life is over, it will have been worth it. Every moment, every breath, every opportunity. And until that day when we as a body are gathered together whole to always be with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, until that moment, I'm going to be a little homesick. For I long to be with the ones whom I love who have gone before me. But I still have work to do. So I wait until that day. 
I will occupy until you come. I will shout until everyone has heard. Until my last breath here. I commit it all to you. It's all yours. Lord, move in this place by the power of your spirit. Lord, bring us to that point. Bring us to that commitment, Lord Jesus, that we recognize the most important thing, my air, my meat, my bread, is to do the will of the Father. My every purpose is wrapped up in that. To love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just drive us, Lord Jesus, to that place. Bring us to that where we will answer your call and move forward and glorify your name. For our King, he has come. And he is coming again. And when he comes, I want to be found running with all the strength I have to finish my race with joy. We give you all the praise, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.